0: Listen. Champions! Champions! <laughs>
1: Number
2: 4? Number 4? Football Americas live and underway here on ESPN plus as well as ESPN Caribbean alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 309. Herc, good to see you made it back from Columbus in one piece, my man.
1: Yeah, I, I, I hate Columbus's airport. No direct flights. Lots of, a uh, couple of red eyes in four days. Yeah, yeah. But we are good. And it was a great time. Columbus knows how to host an event. And that stadium is beautiful. Even though it rained, it was a good time.
2: Absolutely. Speaking of beautiful, how about what we're wearing? Uh, in case you can't tell, I got on my Club América Finest. Herc's got on his uh, Tigres Best. That is the Liga Mekis final. Mauricio Pedros, our good friend and colleague, will be joining us in just a little bit. You're too obvious. Today, That's all I'm going to say. A, That's all I'm going to say. Too obvious. Yeah, too I knew obvious, you were so you- going
1: to come in with some America gear, so I looked in the closet really quick. I was like, oh, all the good people at Tigres sent me this a while ago.
2: Yeah, surprise, surprise. You got a closet full of Tigres gear. Uh, nothing shocks me quite as much as that. Mauricio Pedrosa, as I mentioned, going to stop by. We're going to preview the uh, Liga Mequis final. Mal's not the only guest on today's show, although weird to call Mal a guest because he also hosts the show. Giselle Thompson, the latest teenage phenom to sign with the National Women's Soccer League, is going to join us. If the name sounds familiar, mm. it should. Plus, we're going to recap, her a very productive weekend for U.S. men's national teamers, Mexican national teamers, really all of CONCACAF abroad in the European theater. But let's start with MLS Cup 2023 in Columbus. The crew going for their third ever MLS title, LAFC, going for back-to-back MLS Cups. What an atmosphere it was there in Ohio. Pick this one up, 30th minute. Columbus attacking, ball comes into the box. Diego Rossi, the ex-LAFC man, first to it. Handball called on Diego Palacios.
1: Yeah, handball. The new rule says that's a handball, and Cucho Hernandez to the spot. He's going to take advantage of this one, and that's the first 32 minutes in. Pucho
2: Hernandez, fresh off an interview with you, Herc, on Thursday. Powering it past Maxime Crepeau, Columbus up one nothing. Four minutes later, they strike again. Amundsen, the pass to Yaboa the finish.
1: Yeah, Amundsen right here, I don't know what's a better pass. I mean, the pass is- makes the play, but the finish ain't too shabby as well. Great run, great finish. 2-0, and look who likes it. Wilfred well, Nancy
2: singing in the rain they were second half lafc get one back jesus murillo pressuring ball comes across to denny bawanga not on the first effort but on the second yes it's two to
1: one i mean it had to be that one for denny bawanga if anybody for lafc was going to score i've seen denny bawanga i believe that's 40th of the campaign but it would be too little too late
2: columbus crew win 2-1 their third ever mls title and afterwards, the Football Americas cameras got a chance to catch up with crew manager Wilfred Nancy, who explained what was behind his team's big first-half
0: performance. Listen, the idea, yes, the idea that we have with my team is to have certainty when we attack and to put doubt on the opposition. So we had a plan, a clear plan about the way we wanted to attack we struggled a certain moment because it could have been better but the why what we did and what they did my players in terms of uh, recognize when to attack quick and when to slow down the play has been amazing because we were able to play between the line but we were able also to play behind the line that's why when i talk about giving doubt to the opposition this is the most important things so we have to be unpredictable and i think that that's why we are able to have a, a good game like, uh, like tonight.
1: Wilfred, I don't know if you know this, but you're the first black coach to win MLS Cup. What does that mean to you? Like I said, I'm really proud of that. Really, really
0: proud of that because it's been a long journey to be a coach. Uh, it was about courage, it was about patience. But at the same time, I'm not happy about the situation because I know that I'm not the only good black with a lot of competence. I know that there is a lot of people like me. I know that MLS try to help everyone, but this is not only MLS. This is in the world. So for me, yes, if I can inspire, yes. But what I want to tell also to say is this is not normal. All
2: right, Herc, so many angles to dissect the Columbus crew and their amazing run to MLS Cup. Let's start with the manager, Wilfred Nazi, specifically the comments that he makes there at the end of the interview about being the first black head coach to win an MLS cup. He's proud, but in his words, not very happy. What'd you make of the comments?
1: Yeah, man, when you listen to it, it really puts things in perspective of, I mean, he's absolutely right. He can't be the only good black coach. He can't be the only one to be successful or or to be a good tactician. Certainly there are more out there. They just haven't had the opportunities. And I started Mm -hmm. thinking about this and in our world, in our bubble, it's not just major league soccer. When's the last time you've seen a black coach in Liga mequis I can't think of one, let alone a successful one. It makes you put in perspective just how few opportunities are going around to black coaches. And, and it sucks that we're sitting here talking about race after this man tactically just outclassed everybody in the playoffs, mm. including Steve Torundel, who's a very good coach, gave him his first loss in playoff history, or Steve Toronto's first loss in his playoff history. And we're sitting here talking about this instead of just how good his team was. So, you know, it's a situation that doesn't make me feel good. Uh, I'm very Mm. happy and proud for a will Nancy, but I think he's absolutely right in his comments.
2: Yeah. It's a sign of progress, but not enough progress, right? If you go back to 2019, which isn't all that long ago, it's four years ago, there was only one black coach in MLS then. It was Robin Frazier, right? And since then, we've had everything. We had the pandemic, the George Floyd tragedy, all of the... Social movement that came out of that we had the black players for change. We had all of the visuals that we saw at the MLS back tournament. And here we are in 2023. And yes, Wilfred Nancy is the, the first black head coach to win an MLS Cup. He's also the only black head coach in MLS in 2023. Herc. So here we are at the end of the season, four years later, um, and there's not progress. So we hear about all these initiatives. But at the end of the day, actions speak louder than words. So MLS may be ahead of places, like you mentioned, Liga Amekis, but there's still obviously uh, plenty more to go. And for the owners out there, look at what Wilfred Nancy did. This is a guy who, and and he talks about his journey. This is a guy who isn't a product of of some, you know, MLS opportunity here, some diversity and inclusion initiative. This is a guy who was with the Montreal Academy, Herc, before they were in Major League Soccer. And only because of kind of chaos at the beginning of 2021, when Thierry Henry leaves right before the season, does Wilfred Nancy even get the opportunity in Montreal? So there's a lot of luck that led to this great coach getting this opportunity. I think, unfortunately, for black coaches in the United States and specifically when it comes to MLS, you kind of got to be lucky just to get your shot. Uh, and that's the unfortunate thing. Aside from Wilfred Nancy here, because we focus in on the Columbus crew, uh, why do you think... They are champions of MLS. Why do you think here we are uh, on the Monday after MLS Cup saying the 2023 MLS Cup champions are the team out of Columbus?
1: Right, because they weren't the best team in the league, let alone the best team in the East. It, you know, they actually beat the two best teams in the East to get here. They beat Orlando, number two, and they beat Cincinnati, number one in the East and the best in the league. But it's how they did it. And if you go back to the Atlanta game, there is a tactical change or personnel change, I should say, for Wilfred Nancy that kind of sets them – in motion and going. And that's the 4-2 loss versus Atlanta. And then you turn that mm. into a 4-2 win in Columbus versus Atlanta. And it's few, just a little minute changes like uh, um, Mo Farsi on the right-hand side for Julian Gressel. It's the decision to stay brave, to trust the process like we've heard all along. It's the back line for me that really did it in this game. We talk about the front pressure. We talk about the offensive star power. that They have uh, Cucho Hernandez, uh, Diego Rossi when they lost Lucas Alarayana, Christian Ramirez from the bench, that type of player. Uh, no, it was the back line and the line of five that not only play through lines, as what Fernandes said in that video, but play behind lines. And what I mean by that is you would see the center backs stepping into forward positions, not only in the midfield, but in the final mm. third. Yaya Bo, I thought, was the best player on the field, especially in that first half. I thought he was unlucky not to get uh, more than one goal. He could have had two goals, a goal that was cleared off the line um, by by uh, Chiquis Palacios in the second half of LAFC. They were that good. They just overpower you in between the lines they force the line of confrontation from their opponents to be much Mm. further up the field than they would like they bypass those defenders and it's just boom playing the way they know how to play in between those lines with the players that they have i thought lafc were very fortunate in the first half not to go down Mm. by more than two goals it could have been 3-0 4-0 and ironically lafc pulls one back kind of playing the same way it's it's Murillo, the center back, who steps into the offensive third and provides Denny Buwonga with that play. But it's they overwhelm you with quality in that final third.
2: Hmm. There's a lot of teams that have won in this league and kind of won ugly. I think what sets Columbus apart is they won with a really attractive style. For me, that second goal, the Amundsen pass into Yevoh, that's your left center back in a back three to your effectively left wing back. Do you want to call him a left midfielder? If you want to call it a three, four, three, that's fine. But I mean, if that doesn't embody how Wilfred Nancy wants to play, that he's got a left center back that can not only hit that pass, but has the the guy making the run who knows he's got to make that run in Yeboah. I mean, this to me, and we're seeing it right here, uh, is just an absolute thing of beauty. They played really good soccer it got better throughout the year. Uh, and this Columbus team, I think, Kirk, now, seems set up for big things in the future right if we talked about it last week they're a very smart team middle of the pack spending got rid of Celarayán, knew what to do in the middle of the season had diego rossi lined up to make the move from turkey had christian ramirez lined up in january to make the move from scotland this is a team that knows what they're doing when it comes to player acquisitions and by the way wilfred nancy first season with montreal they were 10th they were second in his second season i mean if columbus just won it all in his first season What's next from here for the crew? I feel like they could be a dynasty in these.
1: Well, it's funny because when you think about the big players in Major League Soccer, you don't think about the Columbus Crew. But if you look at historically when it comes to winning titles, they're now the third winningest organization in Major League Soccer history. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're talking about the LA Galaxy, DC United, Columbus Crew. And it's the way they're doing it. Listen, this should make Toronto FC fans feel very... Very angry, infuriating, because they had, in Tim Bezbachenko, the guy who pretty much wrote the book when it comes to roster spending in Major League Soccer and roster construction, and now he's doing the books for a team like Columbus Crew and making them successful. This team, how successful they are, the chance that they took on Nancy, that's Tim Bezbachenko. The new stadium, the saving the crew, you know, hashtag save the crew, everything they've been through... This is a new team, a new organization, and we could very well be looking at a new dynasty. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. You know what else has
2: changed for the crew, Herc, since you mentioned Save the Crew? The ownership. How about Anthony (laughs) Precourt, huh? Sells the team in 2019. All they've done since then is win two MLS titles. And if you're a crew fan, you have a more expensive stadium than the folks down in Austin that is much closer to downtown than the folks down in Austin. And you've got two titles that the folks down in Austin don't have. So Anthony Precourt. Uh, my, oh my! I told you last week. I didn't know who should feel worse about Columbus Crew's success. Joey Saputo, I think Joey Saputo, uh, and now Anthony Precourt, two owners who are looking at what Columbus does and must just be face
1: palming. Yeah, let me let me separate the Austin just situation from from Anthony Precourt. Anthony Precourt deserves all the hate he can get mm-hmm. here from Columbus Crew, mm-hmm. but the good fans of Austin have done something well, and I'm happy for Austin and what it's become but this is Anthony Precourt. I think we're both set on that. Uh, this man wanted the team gone at, 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 at the expense of the death of a great franchise. He would have put that team in Austin, but it's not the people of Austin's fault. I will say that. All right, all right. Herc making friends, not enemies
2: here on, on Football America. You, you love Austin. I've was never an, been was an Austin. anti-Anthony Precourt rant, just to be clear. All right, uh, what about LAFC, Herc? What went wrong for LAFC in this yet another final here in 2023, where the team from Los Angeles goes home without the hardware.
1: Well, you tell me. You bet on
2: LAFC. I did. You know what? The easy thing to do here would, would be point to Carlos Vela. What? Because I often do that and because Carlos Vela, I don't think, had a very good game here. I don't think he was you the guy the you need him Carlos to be in the You think was Carlos Vela in this game? No, I, I don't think Carlos Vela was what he needed to be in this game for LAFC. He was too quiet was oh, the Belanda guy that they was? built this team around. No, well, Danny Bohanga got on the score sheet, so at least he did something there. Hold,
1: hold on, hold here. on, hold on. We're going about this the wrong way. We're going about the, you know what? Tell me why you think LAFC didn't win, because you thought LAFC mm. would win. I bet against LAFC, I said I will yep. take Columbus, and actually yep. everything I thought would happen in this game did happen. Tell me why you think it didn't happen for LAFC.
2: So, so my question here, where I would think that some of the blame would go, if we're not going to make it all about Carlos Vela, because we usually do that, we don't need to do that again. Is Steve Torundolo. And this is not to say that Steve Torundolo is a bad manager, Herc. But first let's just start with the subs, right? Um, I think he makes his first sub in the 60th minute, right? Is that fair? You're down two goals, you're down multiple goals in a final. That's the ultimate. We gotta sort this out and sort this out quickly. So I thought there was a little bit too much patience there. He doesn't make his third and fourth subs that kind of alright now we really need to, to go all in until the 87th minute, okay? And then on top of that, the subs maybe you can look past, you can say the players didn't make the difference when they came on the field. I never felt like after Columbus Crew pretty clearly established control of this game early on that there was a response from LAFC. I never thought LAFC was close to wrestling control of this game away from the Columbus Crew and that to me is a sign that there wasn't a tactical adjustment from Steve Chirondolo, or if there was, it was ineffective.
1: All right, who's coming on? Who's coming on to change the game for you? And this is what I will say, Uh, if you saw the way the LAFC played against Seattle, who was the best player on their team? Oh, probably the goalie. Maxim Kripal. Yes, he was the best player. And after watching the way they played against Seattle and knowing how a team like Columbus plays, no part of me thought they would weather that storm. And if they won, they would have to weather that storm. And if they had to chase the game, as I said last Thursday, I said right before, right before this final, if LAFC has to chase this game, it is over. I said Columbus would pick them apart, and that's what they did. I thought it was very, very fortunate for LAFC not to concede multiple goals more Mm -hmm. than they did the 2-0 at halftime. Uh, They're in a hole. Once you concede that first time to a team like uh, Columbus and you're forced to chase the game, there's going to be more spaces in between the lines. And the way that they push those fullbacks up, the way they push the center backs up, the way that the two holding midfielders in in, in, – in uh, Aiden Morris and in uh, Darlington Nagby, the way they control the tempo of the game and keep possession, and the way those three up front work, it was bound to happen. It was bound to be more goals and more goals. What I thought would happen did happen. I didn't think this was on Steve Toronto. I certainly don't think it was on Carlos Vela or Denny Bawanga. Their best actions, Denny Bawanga, every time he got the ball, had three on him. And Carlos Vela's best actions in this game, because he could never get mm-hmm. on the ball, were defensive actions. If you think about it, last-ditch efforts to, to put out fires and 1v1 situations at the back, those were Carlos Vela's best actions. This was more about what, the Columbus crew did, did do and mm-hmm. how they made it insufferable for the players on the field than what literally a, a coach like Steve Chirondolo or players mm-hmm. like Carlos Feller or Danny Boanga can individually do.
2: If we say Columbus are set up to maybe run things in the East for a while, how do we feel about LAFC's future in the West after this game?
1: same way i felt about it last year when they won mls cup and the year before that when they didn't win mls cup and and they lost or the year before that when they lost in the concacaf champions league final or or the year before that when carlos feller had a record breaking year and they broke points i mean this is let's go down the list if you will of players they've lost and you're like well they that could be the end for this team i mean i'm looking at when they lost uh, walker zimmerman who was a you know uh, Defender of the Year a winner with LAFC when they lost Edward Atuesta, when they lost Mark Anthony K, Diego Rossi, Brian Rodriguez, Jose Sinfuentes, Latif Blessing, Chicho Arango, who was their leading goal sc- scorer, Gareth Bell. If you want to talk about losing uh, Bob Bradley, this is what John Thornton and LAFC do. They, they rebuild themselves every single year, and they're successful at winning games every single year. Steve had a had a I had something to say after the game that I thought was very interesting. He said, um, I don't consider this season a failure. If mm. getting to three finals is a failure, I don't see it that way. I completely agree. They're a successful team. They will continue to rebuild. You can bet on them being big spenders and making a splash in the market next season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you can bet on them being one of the contenders to win MLS Cup. Well, they win it. I don't know. But by no means is this a... It's over for them. That window has closed type of situation.
2: Quickly, you agree it, it, it's not a failure? No, for LAFC, you got to see you
1: agree with Gerundolo. You got to get there. I mean, mm. a, a failure are some other teams who didn't even get there. I mean, those are failure. Look, look I, I played for the Galaxy. I don't think there's a Galaxy fan today that would say, yeah, we didn't fail. Th- that's a failure.
2: Interesting you mentioned the Galaxy because we're going to talk about them in just a moment. Of course, the big talking point here is Carlos Vela. As of right now, 20 days left on his LAFC contract. Let's hear what he had to say about his future after MLS Cup.
0: No, me encanta Los Angeles. Yo siempre he dicho que desde que llegué me he sentido como en casa, me he sentido muy bien en la ciudad, me he sentido muy bien en ese club. Pero veremos qué pasa, al final, sabemos que no es solo decisión mía, no es solo decisión del club, es algo que, Que tenemos que valorar. tenemos que ver si si es la mejor opción el seguir juntos y si no buscaremos otras opciones. Al final hay más equipos y, y ganas de contar conmigo.
2: All right, Herc, I need that pro athlete translator. Help me read between the lines. What is Carlos Vela telling us about his future there?
1: Well, he wants to continue. I think that's what Carlos Vela is telling us about his future. He wants to continue in Major League Soccer. Now, what's interesting is uh, I was standing right behind the camera uh, during that mix zone, and he spoke about Los Angeles and how much he wants to be in Los Angeles and how he wants to be here in Los Angeles. He never said LAFC. Mm. He never just said, my top priority is LAFC. He kept saying, my top priority is Los Angeles, to, to stay in Los Angeles. And that made, me think, saying, is, made me think- What are you saying, Herc? What are you saying? It just made me think, listen, Carlos Vela has never cared about what anybody thought mm. of him. Carlos Vela has always, Walk to the beat of his own drum. Carlos Vela has always done things his way. Who knows Carlos Vela very well? Will Coons. And if there's a situation where he can get Carlos Vela on a, I don't know, not DP contract, or DP if they wanted to go that route, would the Galaxy do it? And how would that be received? Would Carlos Vela do it? I don't know. That wouldn't happen, right? Like, that. there's no way that would happen. Because the situation here is John Thorrington and LAFC want to do something with that DP spot. So essentially, it's Carlos Fella's back as a DP, or he's not back at all, because if he's a TAM player, I don't know, It's more than 60% of his contract. Will Carlos Fela do that if he thinks he's worth more? Like, I'm not saying you give him the 4.4 he's on, but if somebody were to make him a DP and they only spend $2 million on him, would that be a good move? Maybe. And would the Galaxy seriously do it? Like, there are so many factors here that could make me think, mm. This could happen, maybe. Would the fan base, the LAFC fan base, hate it? Absolutely. Would part of the Galaxy fan base hate it? Maybe. Would another mm-hmm. part of fan base maybe embrace it? Maybe. Could it happen? Maybe.
2: The Whatever team gets him, Herc, what kind of player are they getting? Let's say he goes to MLS. Is he still capable of lighting up this league? I would suggest the statistics we've seen over the last three, four seasons, he's no, he's no longer a lighted up player. Is he still good enough? To light up Liga MX, if there's a team down there that wants him, what kind of player is the next team that hires Carlos Vela truly getting here in 2024?
1: I think you're getting a difference maker, and I don't, I don't put on Carlos Vela, his production, because look at Carlos Vela when he was playing well for LAFC a few years ago. Yeah, that was probably three years ago, right? Record-setting year, 34 2019
2: goals. 2019 is going to be five years ago next
1: year. You're right, five years ago, 34 goals, 15 assists. Where was he playing? Uh, look at Carlos Vela playing right now. He's playing as a nine. He's been playing as a nine all season. Denny Bawanga is the guy who's playing on the left-hand side because it suits him because that's where he can score goals at pace. Carlos Vela is no longer that priority to get him isolated. Maybe you put him in a system where you can use other of his natural attributes, his playmaking ability to be dangerous. He can be just as dangerous. Listen, he's had double-digit seasons the last two seasons because he's fit. Uh, he played in all of LAFC's games this season. Every league game he played in, he didn't miss time. I think if you get a healthy Carlos Vela, and I think he's proven the last few years to be healthy, it's a productive Carlos Vela. So whether it's in Los Angeles with LAFC, in LA, with the Galley Galaxy, or in Houston, or wherever, any other part of Major League Soccer, you're getting a difference maker. As far as Liga MX, I don't think that will happen. Uh, if he goes to Liga MX, you you're still going to get a difference maker, but... His wife is Spanish from the Basque region. He met her when he was playing out with Real Sociedad. I think the backup situation or solution would be going back to La Liga uh, as mm. some, some form, some shape or form, uh, as some different type of role, whatever you may want, but we'll be going back to Spain. And if not that, his brother Alejandro is actually the president of Cancun in the Liga Expansion, champions of Liga Expansion wow. in Mexico. so And I've, I've even read reports of a situation, of a situation where, where they would say he would only play home games, anything to get Carlos there. <laughs> Listen, Carlos Vela, Carlos Vela, does his own thing does it his own way if there's a situation where it is in mexico i could only see it somewhere yeah. like cancun and if not go. honestly i think it's major league soccer he stays or back to spain
2: cancun fc player manager carlos vela uh, how about that for something to watch for in 2024 congratulations once again to columbus crew your mls cup 2023 champions thanks to their two-one victory over lafc now usually what we get during mls cup week is a state of the league address Herc, from the commissioner don garber now this year he spoke about a few interesting things let's hear a clip quickly talking about schedules and very briefly something that's been discussed quite a bit over the last few months the potential of adding a fourth designated player here's
0: don garber are there plans to add a fourth dp for for next season
3: yeah so no plans to add a fourth dp but there will be announcements coming out of our board meeting, which is next week, and we'll have a press availability. See, let me say we can't afford it. So that's a that's a message for everybody. If we have to shut the league down, lose games, it impacts our players, it impacts our partners, it impacts our fans, it impacts everything that uh, that MLS has to deliver for all of our stakeholders. That being said, we've got to manage through that, uh, that process and be clever and creative and figure out how do we reconfigure the schedule with all these different events so that we could make it work. Uh, clearly the World Cup in 26 is an entirely different animal and uh, I can't imagine we're gonna be playing games during the World Cup, but the economic impact of that is significant. So how could we work away? Can we, can we change the schedule format? Can we look at an Apertura and a clausura? Can we reconfigure the Leagues Cup? Can we uh, figure out ways that the competition uh, exists differently in terms of how our teams play each other so that we could manage travel and rest?
2: so the headline there is how quickly he shut down the idea of a fourth designated player we do know that there's some salary rules coming out later this week Kirk. so we'll probably save that deep dive for thursday's uh episode but what do you think of all the schedule talk there and would it be a good idea here for major league soccer to consider what we see down in Liga MX, which is the split season
1: wow don garber and major league soccer are worried about travel and rest now this is interesting <laughs> now I remember 2016, I was still playing in major league soccer. You know, for Copa America in 2016, for Copa America Centenario, they gave us mm-hmm. nine days. So the question was asked about, we can't afford to shut down for two weeks. You can't afford three more days. Why wouldn't they be able to afford that? What, what would happen? Oh, I know why they couldn't afford that. Cause contractually they can't do it because their business model isn't to accommodate Copa America. They have to accommodate Liga MX now. They have to accommodate Apple now. They have to accommodate League's Cup. This is what it's about. It's League's Cup. So the reason they can't do that, and the reason they're thinking of adopting the Liga MX model of apertura clausura is because they've got to get alongside with Copa America, who is somebody else's competition, they don't have anything to do with, they've gotta get Leagues Cup there for you to consume. And that's why they can't afford, not because three more days will financially do them in, but because they have to put Leagues Cup in this congested calendar. That's why all of a sudden we are worried about it. So I absolutely hate it. I hate that in an event like Copa America that can change the ground some way, shape or form, in the U.S. for American football, for American soccer, you're going to turn around and say, yeah, not today because we have Leagues Cup because they're dependent on Leagues Cup contractually. That's Mm -hmm.
2: why. You hate the why, but do you hate the idea? Because I feel like one of the biggest complaints about MLS is how meaningless regular season games are. And that's the one thing that you would fix if you had a, a split schedule. You would immediately have more games that mattered. You would double your playoff games, which Herc would then save us from the three-game first-round playoff series so everybody gets a home game. You no longer need that. And, by the way, if the split season gets you on the FIFA calendar, then I don't care why, I don't care what the what the motivation is, then it's 100% you do it. Because if there's one thing the MLS needs in order for it to feel like it's really part of the global you know, infrastructure of soccer, it's to be on that calendar for for no other reason than the transfers. And that goes both ways, one for the business of the league, but for the fans of the league. So you're not worried about your players, as we see all the time in MLS, getting poached in the middle of the season. To me, if, if a split season got us on the international calendar, I'm all for it. I'm not going to be cynical, Seb, over here like you.
1: You sit here knowing that you've been a fan of Liga MX for how long? And you're trying mm-hmm. to tell me that the league games matter? When there's the repechaje, when there's playing, when you have a losing season and still make the dance, when the regular the season
2: dictates who goes through in the year, yeah, it matters. The same the thing happens. You don't try
1: to pretend for a second that they're on, on the international calendar because have you seen Jimmy Losano's game in May? Have you seen Jimmy This has means. nothing to do with the international calendar. So listen, Seb, don't sit here and lie to the people saying this is going to fix the problems. Come on. <laughs> you're sitting on a throne full of lies. Like, what is going on here? Like, what you're going seriously sit here the and the tell telling people that's going to solve everything. Like, you don't watch Liga Mekis and know the exact same problems happen okay. in the exact hey, same just way. Just because you steal the split klakura. season
2: from Liga Mekis doesn't mean you got to let everybody and their mother into the playoffs like they do in Liga Mekis. Uh, what do you going to happen,
1: Seb? Who, by the, the way, are happen, trimming Seb? back on that? Are what trimming is, back on oh, that? Oh, they're trimming back on it? Is that really what they're doing? Seb, 10 teams made it. 10 teams, there's only 18 teams in the league. Come on.
2: You hate, you hate the play-in, you hate inclusivity. Come on, Gomez. Eight
1: teams make it out of 18 when there's not, not a play-in. Come on, Seb.
2: Okay. Joining us for more, good time to welcome into the show our friend and colleague Mauricio Pedroso. You can check him out over on ESPN Deportes five days a week on Ahora Nunca with Hercules Gomez. Mal, you must've been conflicted in this series. I always forget <laughs> you're, a, you're a San Luis kid at heart. But we know you're an Americanista, so, so how did you deal? Were you, were you conflicted here? No, 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 no conflicts
4: whatsoever. Not at all. I'm all for San Luis. I wanted Atlético de San Luis to win. I wanted Atlético de San Luis to advance to the second final in the last uh, 17 years. But it didn't happen, and I'm happy for Club America just because it's good for the league to have mm. the most important franchise back fighting for that title.
2: Absolutely. 100 percent the win-win situation
4: for me, basically.
2: The dream final, right? The dream final. The final we deserve uh, after a long season of Liga MX. So, Mal, we mentioned it at the end of the highlight. America at the end, they're getting mm-hmm. booed by their fans at the Azteca. Was it fair? Did they deserve it? Yeah, it was fair. It was fair because the performance was really poor.
4: And I don't want to hear anything about what Andres Jardine tried to do during that game, resting some players... Uh, Anytime a player wears that kid, there's a responsibility attached to it. There were fans that paid a lot of money to be in that game and they deserved better. And listen, who are we to tell the fans what to do and what not to do? If you go to see a show and the show is not up to the standard, sometimes you even demand your money back. This is not the case, but the only way a fan has to express their disgust, it's by booing. And it's a very mild representation. It's a very mild way to protest. I'm totally fine with it. And that is the standard, by the way, that Club America has had for many, many years. So I actually tip my cap to the fans, well done. Demand greatness every single time you go and attend one of those games.
1: Uh, Seb, Seb you, don't, you don't sound too convinced. Would, would you have You're Americanista.
2: I would not have booed. I would not have booed. I would have looked at the fact that I think there's a very natural human instinct when you're up five-nothing to turn things off. On top of that, I, I know you, you want to downplay it, Mal, but six changes is significant from leg one to leg two. And they're not just any six changes. He made three changes at the back and three changes in midfield. I mean, you want to discombobulate a team. You make three changes in the defensive line and three more in midfield. What do you think you're gonna get? San Luis had nothing to lose. Everything to play for. Um, I think that's why America loses 2 nothing. Do I like the fact that they lost 2 nothing heading into a final? Does it make me feel good about the team? No. But I don't know that it was such a horrific performance that I would have been buoyed. I, I probably would have been sat on my hands upset, frustrated like I usually am on this show. <laughs> but booing, no, Herc, I don't think I would. Yeah,
1: you know what? It's, it's funny because… First final in four years. I'm happy. I should be happy. What's the most important thing? It's the final. It's playing well in the final. And what's the most important thing if you're America in this 5-2 aggregate mm-hmm. win? It's that in the return leg, okay, you can stay healthy. In the return leg, in a season plagued with injuries for Jardiné, he managed to get players unscathed and go to the final. These two-legged affairs… Are two halves. The first game is one half. The second game is another. If in one game you score five goals in the first half and then lose the second half 2-0, you don't care. It's 5-2. You know who did care here about these Mm. boos? The players. And now the Americanistas who ignorantly booed their players are setting doubts in the press's mind, in the players' mind, and just created a narrative that favors America no well at all. Mm. Um,
2: If...
4: I'll say something real, real quick to that. First of all, I think it's extremely pretentious to call fans ignorant just for the fact the that they're that they booing in this game, players yes. that did not perform to a certain level. That's fine. That's your total. Uh, I think it's just extremely Very pretentious ignorant fans. for you to call the fans ignorant. Anyways, the booed, yes. uh if players like Miguel Ayun are going to feel down because the fans booed, then they're soft. They're weak. They're better than that. Fans get to do whatever they want. And players, if they are affected by that, that worries me a lot. Great players are not affected by that. So if the fans wanted to boo because they didn't like what they saw, I'm 100% fine with it. And Seb is right when he points to the fact that most of those players, right, they're not starters. Well, that even gives the fan a better reason to boo because if you're not a starter and they're giving you a chance to start in the semifinal, then we're demanding some certain level of performance. And if it's not there, we're gonna boo you. And if you're affected by that, I think that's extremely soft and extremely weak.
1: You're, you're calling, I'm not saying the players are soft. I'm saying you just created a, a narrative with the press, with the prensa. And it's one that I hope blows up in your Who face Who cares now. about the press? Who cares about the media? Well, that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about this because people care about the press. We yeah, but why, the why would the players? Why? Why? Why well, would the players be affected why, because, by that? Because Come they on. don't understand what's. What are you booing at? We've just won 19 games straight. We've been they undefeated don't? for 19 games and <laughs> in a season plagued by injury. We just beat this team down 5-2 in aggregates, and you easy. are booing. Mm-hmm. I think it's very little Yes, pretentious because you are your being outperformed
4: by a lesser club. It's very wow. simple to understand Listen, why San Luis, they were San Luis
1: may be a lesser club in your eyes, but it doesn't mean it or, doesn't what? deserve the respect. What about the worry behind the boo? The
2: fact that momentum could have been lost? Do you believe that that's a reality after what happened in the second leg? Or do you say, you know what? It was six changes. That that momentum that the team that won five nothing in the first leg was not lost because yeah, that's yeah. that's my worry. If I was going to be booing, that's what would be behind it. Not yeah, you, the performance can I, can I of a, a bunch a of question? subs. you, is, you think when that's why? You
1: think that's why they were booing because momentum was lost, or are they booing because? A team, no, I think they
2: boo because that's what you do at Azteca. Okay. Basically, when, when America or the Mexican national team disappoints there you, you go. that's what you do. That's there the tradition. Go.
1: That's good. There you go. You right. just answered it yourself.
2: Right. I'm not asking you why you think they were. Do you think that's that's legit, that momentum can be lost after a game like that? Do you think it as a player? You've not, been there.
1: Not not at the expense of injury or being fresh for this final. Because, listen, okay. we, we keep ignoring the fact that this America team, big players have been injured this season. I mean, Diego Valdez was injured the last three weeks. Uh, Julián Quiñones has played a lot of games. Henry Martín was injured to start out the season, both for the Mexican national team and Club América. The center back position has also been plagued with injuries. All over the place, this team has suffered. I don't think it's inconceivable for Jardine to say, let's uh, wait a beat for a second. Let's think this out and make some changes. I thought it was a smart thing to do. All right,
2: so there we have it. Uh, Club America advancing into the final after a 5-2 aggregate win over Atletico San Luis. What about the other semifinal? Tigres against Pumas, the second leg on Sunday at El Volcan. Uh, no Gignac in this one. Well, came on late, but uh, on the bench for Tigres to start dealing with a midsection injury, we'll call it. Uh, Tigres won the first leg, one nothing away. Pumas. Challenging early, Cesar Huerta sending it into the box, hits Javier Aquino on the arm. Pretty clear handball, yeah, Herc?
1: Yeah, clear handball, and Aquino had himself a game. It probably would've hit Pizarro on the stomach, but handball nonetheless.
2: It is gonna be a penalty. It is gonna be Huerta to the spot. He hammers it, but Nahuel Guzman up to the task.
1: I mean, if there was something just so obvious in this game, it was that he was going to miss this penalty kick. It was Nahuel Guzman was going to get in his head.
2: Moments later though, Pumas redeem themselves. Gabriel Fernandez with the header goal to make it 1-0. Yeah. Or even on
1: aggregate. El, el Toro, and immediately, if there was ever a time to score, it was then. And you thought Pumas was more than in it. You thought they were in pole position.
2: Yeah, but a few minutes later, Tigres answer, be gone, what a golazo.
1: <laughs> and doing his best impression of Paul Aguilar and those ugly celebrations he used to do for Club America. Golazo right here. And who sets it up? Sebastián Córdoba.
2: So 2-1 Tigres on aggregate, as they are uh, back in the final and looking to repeat. All right, now, what do we make of Tigres' form compared to both maybe what we saw from them earlier this season, and then again, uh, the team that won it all uh, last season in Liga Mekis?
4: Solid, very solid, nothing spectacular, but they don't have to be spectacular to keep on winning games. And Tigres, they have done this year after year, season after season. They don't need the big stats. They don't need the amazing regular season. They don't have to be shattering records in the first 18 games of the regular season to be considered a top favorites. They know how to play Liguillas. They really know how to handle playoffs. And even though this is only Robert Dante Ciboldi's first full season as a manager, uh, you can really see his hand on this team. And even without Gignac, they were able to create some danger. Now, it's not the same. It's not the same for Tigres to being able to survive a series against Pumas without Gignac than doing it in a final against Club America. But Tigres, they do what they always do. They play well. They barely make any mistakes. They don't leave many doors open. And whenever they have a chance, They're gonna convert so uh it's it's a very even series just because tigres is playing at the level that whenever whenever they've been champions this is exactly what they have shown so if 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 i were a club america fan i would be scared to face this uh current champs team well
1: it's interesting to hear you say you're scared um but i think you're right i think you have reason to, to be afraid here now this is a very even series let's just start out with that club america has a lot of respect here but i think they have respect or even more respect for Tigres. If there was one team they didn't want to meet in this final, it was probably Tigres. I think they'd take their chances against Pumas, who's historically been a dangerous team for America throughout the playoffs in their history. Now, what I will say about Tigres and Mau, thank you for bringing this up. They're winning DNA. They've been in this situation before. It's not spectacular, but they know what to do. And that's what I was getting at with Club America. There are certain teams certain fan bases that just know what it's about. And you know when you're at this instance, when you're at this level, it's just about getting to the next. Now, you mentioned Andre Pierre Gignac, and I I can't tell you how long I've heard this narrative of, well, let's see this Tigres post Andre Pierre Gignac. Let's see this Tigres post Tucaferetti. Well, let's see this Tigres because their players are getting older. And what have we seen post Ferretti? What have we seen? Their team getting younger, a generational shift. We've seen young attacking talent, good players, Mexican players, come into this fold. We've seen that spine stay the same and integrate that winning philosophy into the rest of the team. And we saw a Tigres that eliminated a very dangerous Pumas team, okay, a very dangerous Pumas team, without two of their best players. Andre Pierginac, a historic player, and Luis Quiñones, who I think is very, very important for Siboldi, he wasn't there and I thought they were very, very dangerous in the first leg, and I thought they did the business the way they knew they had to do it in the second leg, and form is relative. Right now, it's 1A versus 1B in this final. It's a 51% versus 49%, I would say, favored team for Tigres because of the expertise, but it could be anybody's final, and I think you should be scared Mal.
2: Herc, how big is the status of Gignac, right, his health in this for you? Obviously, it's one thing to get past Pumas, with him mostly on the bench, but America over 180 minutes. Would you feel as good as you could do clearly about Thetis if Gignac is limited? No. No, I would not.
4: Uh, again, just because uh, the opponent is different. This is not Pumas, who were very, very flat uh, all over the semifinals. This is Club America, the best team during the regular season. If, for any reason, Gignac misses some time, like significant time, if he cannot play the first game or the first 45 minutes, Uh, I would give America the edge just because Gignac is that important. Now, let's not forget the recent form of America facing Tigres. They haven't Mm. lost a game in the past 10 matches. And and this is including André Pierre Gignac. This is including Luis Quiñones. But finals completely different. Uh, Gignac is close to reaching that record of Jose Saturnino Cardoso for most goals scored in finals in the history of the Mexican Soccer League. Now, without him, they do miss a lot. So if Gignac is going to miss significant time, that's a big advantage for Club America.
1: I'll leave with this. Gignac is very important in the history of Tigres, the regular season, playoffs. He's Mr. Liguilla. But when it comes to finals, and, and, and you guys can both attest to this, when you look at Tigres' final history, the the, the finals heroes, it's, it's names like Jesus Dueñas. It's names like... Um, Damián Álvarez. It's, it's named Nahuel. Like Nahuel, Nahuel. Guzmán. It's names like Sebastián Córdoba. Junyag uh, is a constant, but he's not always the hero. He wasn't the hero last time, last go-around when they beat Chivas. Uh, he actually, in the playoffs, only scored two goals, both off of penalties. The last playoff hero was Sebastián Córdoba. There are some players who can step up. His backup happened to score seven goals this season and is an ex-Golden Boot winner in Nico Ibañez. Gignac is 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 a GOAT when it comes to Tigres. He's he's the all-time best player. He's the reference point in the league today. But Tigres has some ballers. Tigres has some players. And even without Gignac, I still think this is a series they can win.
2: All right, guys, that'll do it for our uh, first half of our Liga MX final preview. We will be back on uh, Thursday looking ahead to the first leg, which will kick off just about uh, 45 minutes into Thursday's edition of Football Americas. There he is, Mauricio Pedros, as always. Great to have you with us on the show. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, boys. Catch them over on uh, ESPN Deportes five days a week, ahora o nunca, and Sunday right here on ESPN Plus. We got Bayern Munich against Stuttgart. Alfonso Davies uh, and Bayern Munich taking on Stuttgart Sunday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coverage starting here on Plus.
5: Ching, Cha-ching. Hot cars, nice things. Fresh clothes, no shoes, brains. I'm super excited uh, for this new season. Thank
2: you all for coming. <laughs> She's a junior in high school, and as of last week, she is also an Angel City FC player. Giselle Thompson, who played on the US under-17 World Cup team in 2022 and is, yes, the younger sister of Alyssa Thompson, who is on the senior U.S. World Cup team this year, uh, has signed a multi-year contract with Angel City FC and she joins us now on the show. Giselle, great to have you with us here on Football Américas. Congratulations on the contract and welcome.
5: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
2: Awesome, awesome. Well, we're uh, super pumped to have you here on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about your sister and kind of the national team dreams and all that stuff, but i got to get to the root of it, to the very, very beginnings. Tell me kind of where the love affair for soccer kicked off for you. Where where did you start to play this beautiful game?
5: Yeah, well, me and my sister, we played the game for so long. You know, we um, we were in the backyard playing with our dad, but we didn't start off playing soccer. It was more every sport like we played track we did you know basketball and we played on a boys team for basketball too so it wasn't really oh we're gonna do soccer um we did so many other sports and a lot of sports that helped us get this skill to be where we are especially track to get us super fast but um yeah that's kind of where we started.
1: All right, I, I have to know something really quick. Are there any other more sisters that the NW, NWSL League should be aware of? Because at this, at this rate, we're gonna start filling up a lot of teams or is it just you two? Mm-hmm. No,
5: we have one more sister. Oh! She's 12 though, so she's pretty young, but definitely has the skill to get there.
1: Okay, all right. Well, let, let's talk about these, uh, listen, my brother and I were close in age and we had some epic battles in the backyard, training and whatnot. Mm. What was it like for you having an older sister to kind of look up to and kind of follow in that way?
5: Yeah, it was definitely super competitive. I think our parents made us that way. And, you know, it's always like younger sister wants to win, but the older sister is not going to let the younger sister win. And, you know, our parents, our dad, he always played soccer with us. So he would never, never let us win like anything that we did. So it was definitely super competitive in that aspect.
2: I I can't help but notice one of you is an attacker and the other is a defender. I mean, that's, that's not a coincidence, right? That's a product of some backyard battles, I am imagining.
5: <laughs> Definitely, but our parents like put us in every position. Not only, I didn't start off as a defender. I started like defender, forward, midfielder. We all played like all of the positions. So um, that's where we started off.
2: All right, so walk us through the decision here to go pro, right? A, a lot of times when we hear about people going high school to the pros, It's after your senior year, it's after you graduate. Giselle, you couldn't wait. You're ready right now. So so why now? Why did you feel like now was the moment to turn pro? Yeah,
5: it was the perfect, you know, everything aligned perfectly. I think being in my hometown and being able to choose Angel City where all my, or not my fans, but all my, you know, parents and supporters, my friends being there with me, it just made the decision so much easier, especially playing with, like, you know, my sister. I haven't played with her in so long and having that connection I think it's something that's gonna, you know, even add on to Angel City and help that grow.
1: You got a chance to train with Angel City actually last year. What was that experience like with you being on the same field with your sister and now being a professional environment training? What was that like
5: for you? Yeah, it was so fun being on the same team, like even during practice, whenever we heard our names together, we'd get so excited because We want to win. We always want to win. And, you know, we don't really like going against each other because we know we're very competitive and we always want to win. So when we heard we're not on the same team, we get so mad. But um, it was super fun and all of the girls were super welcoming and everyone treated me like family. So it just makes the transition so much easier.
1: Were you at all just in awe of the level or did you kind of just this is soccer?
5: You know, I was in awe, but I think after a while I built onto that, and I think I I was at that level, and I think I was ready.
2: Hmm. All right. Um, I, I'm curious, Giselle, because I know you had other options, right? You end up at Angel City, but I think as far as colleges, you'd committed to Stanford, which we know is one of the best programs in NCAA. I also read a report that uh, PSG was interested Ooh. in signing you. Obviously, hey, great LA is not a bad place to <laughs> live, right? Uh, and we know Angel City's got a great setup, but is that something for the future that you might be interested in? Maybe going and testing yourself out abroad? We know that a lot of the best players in the women's game are now playing uh, in Europe. What, what do you think about that?
5: Yeah, you know, I'm just focusing on the now. I'm not really focusing on the future right now. It, this is like a big, big accomplishment. And like this is already a lot. Like I'm trying to balance school too. So it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, do all of that. But I'm focusing on Angel City right now. And whenever that comes, I'm... Gonna be ready for
1: that. Listen, I know you want to focus on Angel City right now, but I'm sure you saw Alyssa at the World Cup, and it's every footballer's dream to be at a World Cup. This is your sister; it's almost tangible. What's going through your head when you're watching Alyssa at the World Cup?
5: It was honestly a crazy experience, and like almost made me cry a little bit. Like we've always dreamed about this ever since we were growing up. You know, we share a room, so we talk about it like all the time, and just looked up to all of the players she was playing with. So it was such a great experience, like seeing her accomplish this much and made me want to work even harder to get to that level too.
2: What did she tell you about her uh, World Cup experience, Giselle?
5: Yeah, it's, you know, it was a lot for her being so young too, but all of the players were super helpful in her journey. and. You know, I think she has such high expectations for herself, not only other teammates and players and um, coaches, but she just wanted to have fun because she's su- still super young. So um, not trying to be too hard on herself.
2: Mm. You, you no, know? She's not, Go she's ahead, not the only Thompson that's played in a World Cup. Hurt. You know, <laughs> Alyssa played in the <laughs> Under-17 World Cup yeah. uh, there in 2022. What was that like to pull on the red, white and blue?
5: It was amazing, like such an unreal experience. And having you know the name on the back of your jersey, it was crazy. And being able to score in front of the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of was just amazing. And the experience, like with all my friends being there, it was amazing, honestly.
1: You know, Seb and I, we, we've been talking about this for a while, and all these great players have kind of moved on, um, retired, and now we're seeing a, a young crop of very exciting players. Uh, Jaden Shaw, your sister, uh, Mia Fischel, Sophia Smith, there's a new crop Trinity Rodman, of very good young players for the U.S. Women's National Team. Do you hope to be part of that in the future?
5: No, definitely. You know, me and Alyssa always talk about playing on the same team, especially for the United States. Like, that would be honestly crazy and that's our dream ever since we were little, so you know, hopefully I get there. Hopefully we can play together again. But um, I'm just super excited to see what's to come.
2: All right, Giselle, we got two more very important questions <laughs> here. One, when are you and Alyssa getting your own place? Because I know there's some <laughs> pro athletes at home. But that's a big deal. And second, who's driving to
1: practice? Actually, I actually, actually thought about that. I was like, does, does, does uh, Giselle even have a, a <laughs> driver's license here?
5: Well, I do have a driver's okay. license, yeah. But... Sh- we get really tired, so she drives to practice while I sleep in the car, and then I drive back to practice, or back from practice while she sleeps in okay. the car, yeah. What
1: so. about your place? When do you guys get a place? Or, or is that not on the cards right now with Dad?
5: <laughs> well, we really want to get a new place. I was just waiting till I turned 18, but we're in the works talking about it, but I don't know if our parents want us to leave. Ah, <laughs> but,
3: there it is. But,
5: but I really, I, we really do want to get a new place. Um, But that's, we're talking about that.
2: TBD, TBD. We got to work on the parents on that one. All right. Uh, Football America is going to put put in a word with the uh, Thompson parents (laughs) to see if we can help expedite that deal. There she is, Giselle Thompson. Congratulations, man. It's a great day for you, uh, a great time for your family as well. You're always welcome here on Football America, and great luck next season with Angel City.
5: Thank you so much.
2: Giselle Thompson, one of the newest players in the National Women's Soccer League. Speaking of, we got some schedule news, guys, and we got it early. Somebody page Meg Linehan. I'm sure she's uh, very excited about this. We got expanded playoffs coming next season. Uh, eight teams up from six. We're also going to have more regular season games. 26, up from only 22 this past season. Of course, a lot of that is because we got some new teams coming. Bay FC in Northern California, Utah Royals FC. They're going to debut next year. Regular season will start March 16th, and there will be a couple breaks in season, one July 8th through the 14th, and then one during the Olympics uh, as well, July 15th through August 18th. All good news for Raul Jimenez, his third goal in a week, one of five for Fulham in a 5-0 win over a Edson Alvarez-Less West Ham.
1: And this is, I mean, it looked like vintage Raul Jimenez, you know, with a snap-down header, or snap-down, or just a power header, I should say. It, it's Raul Jimenez the way we used to see him. is a great goal.
2: Fourth Premier League goal for Jimenez. Anthony Robinson started this game. Tim Ream not even on the bench uh, for Fulham. Curious to see what's going on there. But again, the story is Raul Jimenez with a goal. Amazing header goal for Raul Jimenez. Herc, it's a question we've been waiting for. Literally years to ask here on football Americas, but this time we ask it with real conviction, Is Raul Jimenez back?
1: Listen, we would all love for Raul Jimenez to be back, right? but we had to think into consideration that it was only two games. yes, three goals and, and and might I add not the goals that we are accustomed to seeing from Raul Jimenez by that, I mean the house special, which are penalty goals, but the goals we saw from Raul Jimenez pre-David Luis incident. And I'll start off with Na'Nem Forrest. I mean, fantastic first goal, opening goal. And then the second goal, the way he receives the ball in between defenders with a delicate touch, the way he shows his strength in between defenders to literally stiff arm one into the ground, eliminates the goalkeeper by bas- bypassing them, And it has the audacity to backheel it in uh, into the empty net. That looked like pre-Raul Jimenez. That, that confidence, that swagger. But this header goal... This is vintage Raul Jimenez. This is a Raul Jimenez we've not seen since that unfortunate incident. I actually think it's the first header that we've seen for Raul Jimenez since that incident. It looks like he is back. The confidence is there. The feeling is there. The goals and being dangerous are there. Mm. But I ask you, at the expense of who is it there for? He's 32 years old. If you're telling me people are going to be excited about Raul Jimenez finding his goal scoring form in the Premier League at the expense of maybe blocking or being the nine, the mm. starting nine of it set of a Santi Jimenez, it's going to get tricky. I love yeah. this Raul Jimenez. I really, really do. It was a career cut short due to injury that we're starting to see come back. He's never been that player for the national team. So at the expense of who, are we gonna see this form come at?
2: I don't think he's back because I think we need to all remember just how good he was before the injury, right? He was very, very good. But this is by far, Herc, this header goal, the closest I felt to saying Raul Jimenez is on his way back. Even the other goals when they started, when they'd be from Mexico or when they'd be in a cup game or even even the goals in this little streak didn't really feel like the true Raul Jimenez of old. This header goal, which you're correct, is his first header goal since September of 2020 feels like the old Raul Jimenez. It is a fearless, it is an instinctive header. He's blind to where he's heading the ball, which is exactly, Herc, if you remember, how he got hurt when he headed David Luiz's head. Here he goes blind in the box, heads it in. It's a brilliant goal. It makes me feel like Raul could get close to the player that he was. As far as the Mexican national team, it's a good problem to have, right? You'd rather have a Raul Jimenez in form to be a second or third guy on the depth chart um, as long as it is, as it doesn't continue. Because if he continues to score goals in the Premier League, what you're saying is right. Jimmy Lozano's going to have that problem of the media saying you got to give this guy time. When we all know that the future is Santiago Jimenez, and and it's crazy to think that you could say it's a problem to have too many good forwards. But we may be going there with Mexico because Santi hasn't proven it at the national team level. Once he does that, the Raúl question goes out the window. But right now, that that door is, if it's not wide open, Herc, it still feels cracked open. I just don't know if Maud can continue this. I don't know, one, if he's got it in him. And two, I don't know if Fulham's gonna let him. Because they've been linked to, among others, pretty much everybody in the winter transfer window, including Santiago Jimenez. So Fulham has to keep giving him minutes. But if they do, and he keeps scoring, that's a good headache, I would say, for Jimmy Lozano.
1: Yeah, let me just talk about fulham for a second listen fulham the last couple games they sh- they've been outscoring teams they've been putting a pounding yep. on teams mm-hmm. tim Reim's not been there for that um maybe opens up a different question down the line uh, a different road uh, but raul jimenez has so forget about whatever links you saw but if they have a player in-house right now that they're actually spending money on it they don't need to spend more on it, and they think he's regained form that goes out the window he will stay the man as long as he's putting the ball in the back of the net as far as jimmy lozano listen Jimmy Lozano was giving him opportunities even before he was putting the ball in the back of the net. And if you look at Jimmy Lozano's most productive forwards, I hate to say this, but it has been Raul Jimenez. I mean, it it has been also Henry Martin. It's maybe not been Santi Jimenez, even though we all want him to be that player. That could be circumstantial because you need to be on the field to have those opportunities to get those goals. Maybe he's not been on the field as much as Henry Martin or Raul Jimenez, but Jimmy Lozano has given these other two forwards more time.
2: So uh, it's his first header goal we mentioned since September of 2020. It's his first back-to-back Premier League games, Herc, with a goal since October of 2020. And how about this? It was uh, match number 150 for him oh. in the Premier League. So congratulations to uh, Raul Jimenez on a great weekend there with Fulham. Great weekend coming up here on ESPN+. We got the uh, Air Divisi on Sunday. It's Asset Alkmark. So uh, Jordi Mihailovic taking on the CONCACAF crew over at PSV. PSV, a perfect... 15 for 15 so far. We're going to make it 16 for 16 on Sunday. All right, time now for our parting shot here on this edition of Football Americas. And Herc, what do you know? U.S. soccer and FMF have combined to submit a bid for the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup. The other confirmed bids, Brazil, also a co-bid between Belgium, Netherlands, and Germany. Uh, South Africa was apparently gonna bid, but now they seem to have uh, decided they'll wait until 2031. What do you think? Pretty big news there, no?
1: Massive news, and it lines up this continued, you know, summer of of soccer, if you will, in, in the United States and sometimes in North America in general, but you're gonna have five years where it's Copa America, where it's Club World Cup, where it's the World Cup, where it's the Women's World Cup, and you're gonna go on to the Olympics. Special times. What I will say is, if you look at the list of some of these stadiums in the bid package for the Women's World Cup in Mexico, you had stadiums Mm -hmm. like León and Querétaro, which to me were a massive surprise because they would never be in the bid package for the men's tournaments. And what I mean by Mm -hmm. that is, the stadiums need a lot of work. Uh, León and Querétaro aren't the greatest stadiums in the world or the greatest fields in the world, and they would need massive upgrades by then to be eligible. And also, your going to a place like Querétaro that was marred by fan violence, Atlas and Querétaro in a game they had, and the Querétaro Stadium was actually um, blacklisted or or had to be closed doors for a whole year due to the suspension they gave this stadium. So it's interesting how they chose this in this bid package. Um, But other than that, I mean, it's it's deserved. I think Mexico and the U.S. will do a, a great job in this.
2: Mexico obviously has never hosted the event. The U.S. hosted it, funny enough, twice back-to-back, 1999 and 2003. 2003 was kind of an emergency situation, but wild to think that the U.S., which is in many ways the cradle of the women's game, hasn't hosted a Women's World Cup uh, since 2003. I think the decision is going to be made in mid-May. I think May 17th is the FIFA Congress. So we still have a while before we'll actually find out where the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup is. Will be held. All right, that will do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will see you back here on Thursday. We'll be previewing the Liga MX final first leg between Tigres and América going down on Thursday night. We may be doing some voting as well. I think there's some ballots out for U.S. Soccer Player of the Year. Maybe we'll get a Herx vote on that. Plus, we'll be covering the draw for the Concacaf W Gold Cup, which uh, is going on tonight. We know will be played next year. Uh, in the United States. He's Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. He reps Tigres, I rep El Mas Grande. Club America, we'll see you guys Thursday.